0: Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam O'Lean, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, Each time we gather, we have a goal to have people to be at home in their hymnal, both in their private use or in the corporate worship setting. We've been working our way through Divine Service Setting 1, and we are Firmly ensconched in the communion part of the liturgy. which you heard coming into our program today, a very, very familiar hymn to anyone who's ever stepped foot inside of a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation. It's been around as long as I've been around, and way, way, way before that as well. That's a long time. That is a long time, Pastor. <coughs> I come, O Savior, to thy table, for weak and weary is my soul. And the refrain is uh, majestic. Lord, may thy body and thy blood before my soul the highest good. That's really the goal in the Lord's Supper that we would receive the Lord's Supper beneficially with a repentant heart, recognizing what the Lord's Supper is, the very body and blood of Jesus in with and under bread and wine for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Pastor, we are... um, Getting into the part of the service, page 161 in Divine Service Setting 1, in our previous episode, episode 28, we looked in great detail at the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 and in uh, the traditional Missouri Synod Service, Divine Service Setting 3, we go right from the Sanctus into the Lord's Prayer and Words of Institution. That's what people are familiar with. In Divine Service Setting 1, page 161, and then also in Divine Service Setting 2, Setting 1 and Setting 2 are virtually the same service with just a different musical setting. We have this little thing on the bottom of page 161 called a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, I have noticed that uh, there are some times when you skip over that part of the service. And uh, before, before we do too much, I'm just going to read the prayer. Okay? Bottom of page 161. Blessed are you, O Lord of heaven and earth, for you have had mercy on those whom you created and sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior with repentant joy. I love that phrase, by the way, repentant joy. With repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and in the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful, the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. And in the former hymnal, Lutheran worship, that's where the prayer ended. So in LSB, we have this last little sentence added, Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That's the prayer, the prayer of thanksgiving. Now, there's nothing theologically incorrect in that prayer. There is uh, no false teaching or false doctrine in that prayer. And yet, sometimes pastors just skip over that prayer. And I've noticed that you do that once in a while too, Pastor. So, why? Why? Well, um, there's a lot of
1: history that probably has to come before we can actually answer that particular question.
0: That's why you're here. You're the history man. Yeah.
1: um, So we'll do the best we can to try and cover some of that history, at least in a very basic sense, um, so that we can understand that. To start with, uh, we have to go maybe all the way back to the time of the apostles, which means we have to make a little bit of uh, assumptions, but we can make some educated assumptions on the way that they did their worship services, at least back in the the time of the apostles and in the very early church. Back in the Um, olden days. Yeah, and so we have some things recorded for us, like the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus, and we have uh, also some other quotes from famous people, like uh, Pope Gregory the Great, who kind of gives us an idea of what happened. And and the basic assumption that we—educated assumption— is that the apostles, when they had the Lord's Supper, used uh, basically the words of institution— and that's what they stuck with in the normal part of their, uh, their service of the sacrament. Over the years, um, more things drifted into there and got put in there uh, just as a, this is the way bureaucracy works, right? And I suppose it's the same thing with the liturgy. Uh, additions got added in over time that increased uh, the words that were said around the words of institution. And it incru- uh, introduced things like uh, the Eucharistic prayer, and the uh, uh, you know we could talk about some of the other things. The Amen, I'm going to say it wrong here. Um,
0: um, Amenesis. Amenesis. There we go. Thank you. And uh, uh, which is just a fancy word for saying remembrance, if I if I know my uh, Greek well.
1: Correct. Um, and some of the other parts and those things. To keep it simple, those things got introduced into the liturgy around the words of institution until the time of the Reformation, uh, at which point uh, those other things had kind of become the main focus of what was happening in the service of the sacrament, and the words of institution had kind of been lost. And part of that has to do with the way that they were said back then. They weren't spoken for the congregation to hear. Uh, They were kind of whispered right over the top of the elements uh, to consecrate them, and the other parts were heard and were a little bit louder, and so we see that sort of thing taking place and the main problem with this is it's obscuring christ and his words so at the time of the reformation then martin luther comes along and he rewrites the liturgy to take out the things that uh, have been additions that obscured christ and his word and And this
0: and this was uh, done about the same time that luther's small catechism was written correct 1525 1526 right in that area
1: correct and and this, this is recorded for us we have um we have these rites that he prepared. Uh, they're in the yellow uh, yellow edition of uh, uh, Luther's works. I can't remember the volume number, but uh, there's volume, one on music. Volume
0: 53. You've got it right in front of you, huh? Volume 50. I don't have the volume in front of me, but I have the
1: reference in front of so, me. Uh, so Luther takes these things out and gets back to the bare bones so that Christ might not be obscured. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Okay, let um, me just pause
0: you right there. Luther made a revision of the Mass not because Luther thought his words were more important than Christ. Correct. Luther's revision of the Mass was to give prominence to Christ and his word and to take the focus off of man's word. Is that a fair way that's of, exa- of saying it?
1: That's exactly uh, the way to say it, and that's uh, then that hopefully will inform why we— sometimes skip that prayer i notice you skip it as well
0: uh generally i skip it when i'm more concerned about time right uh because i just don't see that prayer as being that necessary needed useful whatever not that there's anything theologically wrong with the prayer or the content of the prayer i just see it as superfluous right and so
1: when we let God's word stand for itself, and I think that's what Luther's goal was in his revisions of the the mass, to let God's word be its own thing and not to let our own words and opinions and thoughts obscure it. Um, so he he cut out all these things that we've been talking about, the omenesis, uh, the uh, Eucharistic prayer, uh, and some of the other things that went around there, which we haven't mentioned uh, okay. in detail. So it got taken out the time of the Reformation. And that is reflected then in what we still do in Divine Service Setting 3, which is the first English um, Lutheran worship service prepared, um, you know, when we came over, I think uh, it dates to the end of the 19th century sometime.
0: Sure, Early, early 1800s. Yeah,
1: and so that was still the way that it was done. In the 1900s, there's what is known as the Liturgical Renewal Movement, and there are some in the Liturgical Renewal mo- Movement who um, see a mark of the Church uh, as, or the reason that we can actually be Church, or the reason that what we do counts, is because we are doing all the right things. In other words, it's making the the worship a work that we need to do if we're actually to be God's Church. And they would say that some of the things that were taken out, we actually need to do if we're going to be church. And I, I'm
0: probably way oversimplifying
1: it. So, uh, Well, it is, an over, are,
0: it is an oversimplification, but I think you've hit the high points, that it is the action that is performed by the pastor and people that is the most important part, rather than the... As you said, bare bones, word of God as proclamation and the gift of the Lord's Supper. So this conflict, um, maybe I
1: should say this too before we go on to that, The uh, what the truth is, right? We do the things of the liturgy and we speak the words that we have and we, we even act in a reverent manner. We dress the way we do because Christ has given us forgiveness and because uh, it is appropriate, therefore, to act the way that um, that Scripture lays out that we should act. It's not our action of earning salvation. Rather, it's a response to salvation being freely given in the Word and in the sacraments. And, and that maybe needs to be clear. And that's where perhaps some of this liturgical renewal there has been a little bit of a challenge is that when it becomes a work that we're doing to earn salvation
0: or to actually be the church, that's a problem. Well, Luther is uh, often uh, <clears throat> criticized uh, that he was out of his element, uh, that he was not a uh, musician or liturgiologist, and so he shouldn't have tinkered with anything. One uh, one gentleman says that uh, Luther, in his revision, castrated the Mass, castrated the liturgy. I just want to give a quote from Luther, and this is Luther's works, volume 53, pages 25 and 26, on, uh, in his essay, The Abomination of the Secret Mass. That utter abomination follows, which forces all that precedes into the Mass in its service, and is therefore called the offertory. From here on almost everything smacks and savors of sacrifice and the words of life and salvation are embedded in the midst of it all just as the ark of the lord once stood in the idols temple next to dagon let us therefore repudiate everything that smacks of sacrifice together with the entire canon and retain only that which is pure and holy so and so order our mass all that matters is that the words of institutions should be kept intact and that everything should be done by faith. In uh, In the time that we have left in this segment, Pastor, your uh, response and reaction to that quote that I just read from Luther. Well, and
1: I, yeah, I think... What he's saying is is kind of what we've been trying to point out here as best we can. Complicated issue this one, um, but uh, what it comes down to is in the Gospel of John when the people say, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus," and that's the reality of everything that we do in the the divine service: is we want to not obscure Jesus. We want what Jesus says and does to be uh, the the main main focus and there are some debates on what that looks like and this is perhaps one of those things and so as we get back from break maybe we'll get into where this has come up in our modern situation uh, a little bit more clearly
0: yeah i think that's uh, that's a good time and a good place for us to take a break the extolling of christ and his words in the lord's supper that was luther's goal in the revision of the mass and that's what we're going to talk about when we come back Welcome back to Pro or uh, at home in your hymnal. Sorry, I get my uh, radio programs mixed up here. At home in your hymnal, uh, you heard again in the uh, bumper music coming in that great hymn I come, O Savior, to thy table for weak and weary is my soul. We're talking about the Lord's Supper. Specifically, we're in Divine Service Setting 1, page 161 and following. We've been talking about the uh, prayer of thanksgiving, some of the history that goes around why we do what we do in the uh, in the church. And uh, I think Pastor Moline did a, uh, did a beautiful job of recapping the history in our previous segment. This is uh, episode 29, by the way. But in our previous segment, talking about some of the history, very, very briefly, but some of the history with regard to the liturgical movement that took place uh, um, in Europe, uh, in America, in the uh, early part of the 20th century. It uh, really kind of found its way into the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, in the uh, 40s and 50s. And uh, there were a lot of people that were critical of Luther and his revisions of the Mass. The, um, the, uh, the whole topic of the Eucharistic prayer has been um, really kind of a hot button in uh, liturgical churches for a long time pastor if somebody asked you um, what is a liturg- or a Eucharistic prayer uh, how would you how would you define that for the common person sitting in the pew
1: real quick I mean just to before we do that question um, to get back to the history we talked about last time what the question that is behind all of this debate is it needs to maybe be made clear so that we understand this as we talk about it. Um, and the question is, do, do the words of institution consecrate? And the answer, of course,
0: is yes. And the word consecrate uh, literally means to set apart for special use. Yes. We use that word a lot uh, in the church. But, I mean, you can consecrate your fishing pole – and set it apart that say you are only going to use that for bass fishing. You are only going to use that to catch catfish with. So you can use that in a, in a non-church way. You can use that in a secular way. When we are talking about consecration, we are talking about something more than that. You want to you want to elaborate on that? Well, yeah. Uh, when we are talking about the words of institution consecrating, what
1: we're meaning is uh, that the words themselves actually do what they say. In other words, that Christ's word. Uh, When he says, take and eat, this is my body uh, given for you. Take and drink, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That those words uh, spoken by our Lord and and repeated then by the pastor actually do all the things that they are saying. Which shouldn't be a surprise to uh, listeners of our radio station and this show. Because this is what we've been talking about throughout uh, much of our our, uh, series here. Is that God's word actually does what God's word says. And so all of that goes together. Take, eat, um, this is my body, this is my blood, forgiveness of sins. God's word is actually accomplishing it. And and I think that's the important thing. That's the consecration is that uh, God's word does what it says it does. Um, And so we can answer that question. Do the words of institution consecrate? Yes. Uh, And then the next question that I think is the important part, are the words obscured by being embedded in the Eucharistic prayer and the canon and all the other things that go with it. And that's where the debate really comes in. And I think we would say they can be and oftentimes are obscured by these things. And so... That that's really the the point on which this whole conversation needs to hinge. Is well, that fair? Very well said. Very well said. And so you you ask me then, what is the prayer of uh, the Eucharistic prayer? And the word Eucharisto in Greek means uh, to give thanks uh, or a good Thanksgiving. Uh, and so. Uh, a prayer of thanksgiving would be a prayer where we give thanks to God for a particular thing that he's doing. And specifically in this context, it's a prayer um, giving thanks to God Forgiving us the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, just as he's promised. And maybe that's, again, an oversimplification, but I'm trying to keep it at simple level here. So um, what do you think about that definition?
0: No, I, I think that's good. Uh, that, that is not the definition that many in the liturgical movement would use. The, uh, the Eucharistic prayer in the liturgical movement is a series of prayers, both before and after the Lord's Supper, oftentimes including the Lord's Prayer, but a a series of prayers, and in the prayers, uh, there are very, very specific elements that need uh, need to be present. The Lord's Supper is seen as not primarily receiving the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but primarily for reenacting the Christ event. And when we're talking about the Christ event, we are talking about the whole Christ event, uh, incarnation, Uh, Perfect Life, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Ascension into Heaven, Promised Return, the Sending of the Holy Spirit. All of these things need to be present. And then you, in this theology behind the Eucharistic prayer, you are then lifted up into Christ and into the real presence of God rather than God coming down to you, specifically in with and under bread and wine, the body and blood of Jesus. So there is oftentimes, and I don't want to say everybody who does this believes that, but oftentimes there is a false theology regarding the body of Christ that is incorporated into the Lord's Supper at this point in time. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I think... That's the difference. And when we lay out that difference, we have to ask, "Who's doing the doing?" Maybe is the question to ask, right? Are we? Um, is it necessary for us to behave a particular way for this to come about, or is it uh, all God's work and gift and grace and gospel? And there's where maybe the the difference lies in answering that question we talked about just earlier.
0: Yes, um, uh, just just to. Uh, uh, so you so you don't think that I'm painting a caricature here. One of the uh, one of the early uh, liturgical renewal guys in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was a gentleman by the name of Bertholdt von Schenk, and I'm not an expert in von Schenk. Uh, sometime we'll get Brother Kuhlman on, and we'll talk about that. Say I'm not either. Uh, and so um, von Schenk described the Lord's Supper this way: Our destiny is supernatural. We must be caught up with divine love. The great destiny of man is union with God, and the cross made this possible. I am always nervous when I hear the words possible and potential with regard to um, justification, forgiveness, life, and salvation, because it seems like it's something that we don't have yet. And that maybe if we do the right things or act in a certain way, then maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get that. And uh, that's that's why we had a reformation. That's why we had a reformation, so that the word of Christ and the forgiveness of sins would be clear and would be prominent in the for you aspect of the gospel. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly... The reality of what our
1: faith is all about and the Christian church is all about, we may have certainty that we are forgiven and that we have eternal life in Christ and that we don't need to have the possibility or whatever floating in our mind. Now, to be fair to this, um, we do act a particular way, but that action is. In response to what God does, Amen, and, and therefore that's what real reverence is: is response to the gifts that God has given and acting appropriately having received forgiveness life and salvation and it's not uh it's done in freedom not in obligation and there's the difference between law and gospel and even uh, the uh, the uses of the law as well this is third use it is done in response uh in the freedom that we have in christ and his forgiveness
0: and it wasn't like luther gutted all the prayers out of the communion liturgy he just put prayer in its proper spot we have the lord's prayer with the words of institution which has all Always been uh, the the way of uh, receiving the Lord's Supper in the church, and he removed all of the prayers surrounding the words of institution and replaced them with a prayer after the reception of the Lord's Supper, a prayer of response, the post-communion canticle. Now that I have received this salutary gift, uh, let me respond in faith towards you, and in love toward one another. And I think that is that is one of the marvelous, marvelous beauties of Luther's revision of the Mass is he put the prayer where it needed to be, not obfuscating the words of Christ in the verba, and when we say verba, we mean the words of institution, but letting the Word of God have its say.
1: And, and that's what our goal should be in every single thing that we do within the church services to let people see Jesus i mean even the silly things like what the pastor wears, um, you know, it's not because we think we're more holy or we're trying to get into heaven by what we wear. Rather, it allows us to blend into the um, the chancel area and to be seen just as uh, fixtures within that, so that Christ is actually where everyone's eyes are focused too. It's kind of like liturgical camouflage, if you will. When I go out deer hunting, I wear camouflage so that I blend into the trees and the deer can't see me. Uh, in the same way when I go into the chancel and I wear a chasuble or stole or alb or uh, whatever it is I'm wearing those things so that I blend in and that people can actually focus their attention on our Lord and not on the uh, the goofy guy that the Lord has appointed to work here
0: yeah that's that's a great word picture uh, I just I have to say I've been deer hunting with you uh, I'm not so worried about the deer seeing you I think the deer smell you but that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different topic for another day um on uh, just a, a few brief words uh, pastor on page 162 in our hymnal uh, divine service setting 1 on the left-hand column you have the words of our lord the verba and then you have some prayers that come after the words of the of our lord the lord's prayer comes after you have the prayer of thanksgiving before here at good shepherd we never use that left-hand column And again, I'm not saying that anybody that does is a heretic or false teacher or anything like that. Why do we always use the right-hand column uh, with regard to our celebration of the Lord's Supper here at Good Shepherd?
1: I'm going to sound like a uh, uh, broken record here uh, so that we can focus on Jesus and his word and not the other things. If you look at the left-hand column, some of those things uh, hold the potential, just like that uh, prayer of thanksgiving before, uh, to... Uh, obfuscate uh, or obscure Jesus and His Word, and so that's why we do the the one on the right hand, sir. We wish to see Jesus, and the right hand column allows that to be the case. Just like you know, we had we might as well just answer the question: Why do we skip the prayer of Thanksgiving at times? Because uh, want we want Christ and His Word to predominate and to be unobscured, and so this all has the same same source and same uh um reason uh behind it
0: when we come back from our break we're going to take a look at the lord's prayer and then the words of our lord the verba in the celebration of the lord's supper this is at home in your hymnal we'll be right back 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to... At home in your hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We serve the saints of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. It is great to have you with us. We're looking at the communion liturgy, specifically divine service setting one. We are on page 162. And uh, as you heard that music coming in, I come, O Savior, to thy table, weak and weary is my soul, thou bread of life alone art able to satisfy and make me whole in uh, the previous two segments of this episode 29 we've we've talked about the prayer of thanksgiving the, uh, the the prayers that sometimes obscure or have at least the potential to obscure the clear words of God uh, in the verba the words of institution and um there, there are many things that sometimes get added to the Lord's Supper, even, even little things uh, like telling people to stand up and sit down and some of these kind of directional things that we, we sometimes enable our people with. And uh, I know that that can, that can also obscure what we're talking about. And so uh, at Good Shepherd, we want to be sensitive to the visitors that we have who may not know exactly how we do things because there are different practices in different churches. But at the same time, we want to try to keep that to the bare minimum to uh, to let the word of Christ hold sway. Pastor?
1: Well, and there's several things you've said there that I think were worth talking about. That last thing, maybe we'll start with, um, you know, when we, we introduce little tiny things, you know, like stand up, sit down, whatnot, into there. And we say, well, it's for the visitors. Uh, church is primarily not for visitors. It's primarily for the Christian to be strengthened in the word. And so what's the simple solution to that is uh, if we actually act like Christians and we see somebody who is new to the church we go over and introduce themselves ourselves to them and we sit next to them And we say oh yeah look we're on this page uh and then we actually are starting to build also a relationship with the person rather than just having um this standoffish you're by yourself hope you can jump into the deep end all by yourself uh, it's not the way you learn how to swim uh but uh lots of times we think that's what it needs to be in
0: church if we would be christian and help them that's what we need to do and and pastor just uh <laughs> For clarity's sake, when I was talking about that, I was thinking about the person from the Missouri Synod congregation in Illinois or Iowa or California uh, who's visiting here, and they may not do all the liturgical practices or follow a hymnal at all uh, rather than than somebody who just bumbled in off the street. And so uh, there's, there's sadly there's a wide amount of variety with regard to the liturgical practices in the church. And so that was mainly what I had in my brain. The other thing, you you talked about
1: uh, the things that have potential to obscure uh, the word of Christ. And and I guess— Even saying that, you think, okay, so what's the big deal, right? A grenade has the potential to blow you up, and so you don't keep one underneath your pillow. Uh, A swimming pool has the potential for someone falling in and drowning, and so you make sure you put a fence around it. We are always very careful about things that have the potential to harm. Uh, Even uh, you know, uh, cleaning supplies have the potential to poison you, and so we lock them up so our kids can't get in there. Uh, my, My children have the potential of being hit by a car if they're playing football ball in the street, so we don't let them do that. And so maybe these things aren't necessarily uh, going to kill someone's faith or harm us, but because there's the potential to obscuring Christ, we deal very, very deliberately and carefully with them to make sure that we are letting Christ predominate and be the central focus of our worship service. And so I'm sure maybe somebody's been listening to this episode and say, okay, so what's the big deal? And that's why that's what we're having this discussion about is so that we aren't potentially hurting someone's faith.
0: That's I think those are those are well chosen words, Pastor. Next up is the uh, the Lord's Prayer in the uh, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and uh, one of those things is that that uh, prayer or that little intro. Uh, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Um, that too is superfluous. Uh, generally, if the pastor just starts praying the Lord's Prayer, the people of God know, oh yeah, now it's time for me to pray too, so they join in. Uh, and, and so that you know that's true, that's what we do in Divine Service Setting 3. Yeah, we it? just go right into the Lord's Prayer. In, uh, in uh, Pastor John Fram's uh, book, The Divine Service, It's History and Theology, he quotes Arthur Just at this point in the liturgy. Uh, and Dr. Just says, The Lord's Prayer has always been associated with the liturgy of the Lord's Supper and precedes the Eucharistic prayer. Since it only occurs here in the divine service, it was a prayer that that only the baptized prayed, with the catechumens first learning to pray it during their final preparations for baptism. In the ancient church, the Lord's Prayer followed the Eucharistic prayer as a summary of the prayers in the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And so you see that this, uh, this Eucharistic prayer thing, uh, before or after or whatever, these kind of things have been um, debated and uh, thought about and in and out of the liturgy for, for a long time. With regard to the, uh, to the Lord's Prayer, uh, Pastor Fram says, not only was the Lord's Prayer associated with the celebration of the Lord's Supper, but there is patristic testimony from the early church to suggest that no other prayers were said in proximity to the words of institution other than the Lord's Prayer. This is from the most ancient sources that we have. There were no other prayers, there were no Eucharistic prayers except the Lord's Prayer. St. Gregory the Great writes in Epistle 12 to John, Bishop of Syracuse. This is what we referenced earlier. Yes. A passage also cited by Chemnitz in his examination of the Council of Trent and by Friedrich Lochner, a theologian and scholar of the early Missouri Synod in his book, Der Haupt Gottesdienst. It was the custom of the apostles to consecrate the host oblation to that same prayer only. And it seemed to me very unsuitable that we should say over the oblation a prayer which a scholastic had composed and should not say the very prayer which our Redeemer composed over his body and blood. In other words, why are we saying all these other prayers that people have wrote? Why don't we say the prayer that Jesus wrote? Why would we think man's words are more important than the Lord's word. Why would we think man's prayers are more important or necessary than the Lord's prayer? You're—I uh, can see you're chomping at the bit there, Pastor. Yeah, but, I mean
1: that's—that's that's exactly why then. Uh, the the prayer of thanksgiving was occasionally you know at our church we leave out um, it's uh the same thing we've been talking about all along and and just to give it a biblical basis it's the same thing that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches uh, I believe in the Sermon on the mount when he says uh, when you pray don't think that you'll be heard because of your many words but rather um, let your prayer be done in such a way that it's it's actually talking to God about what's important, um, and I, that's a little bit of a summarizing of uh, what Christ says there in the Sermon on the Mount. You can go take a look at it on your own if you wish when he talks about prayer, but we won't be heard because of our many words. Uh, we'll be heard because we're actually coming to receive what God is giving in faith and trust in his promises, and, uh, and so keeping it simple uh, with just our own Lord's
0: Prayer is probably enough. I would, uh, I would take it one step farther, and I'll, I'll say something here that some people might even see uh, here as being uh, controversial or antagonistic. Are you ready for this, Pastor? My ears are open. If you come to me and say you want a Eucharistic prayer, I'm going to say, "Pray Thee Our Father." I think that would be just a fine way to say it. Um, it- And that is, this is not castrating the liturgy or any other such foolishness. This is just holding prominent the words of our Lord. And so we pray the Lord's Prayer. In Divine Service 3, there is an option, Pastor. And in that option, the pastor either speaks or chants the Lord's Prayer and then the people come in and sing the doxology. For thine is the kingdom. And that's the way it was when I grew up. Yep. Um, the, uh, the pastor either spoke or sung the Lord's Prayer. And then the people came in together with the doxology. In Divine Service 1 and 2, the people are praying it together. In Divine Service Three, we we have this option. We don't have to do it that way, and we kind of go back and forth here at Good Shepherd. So, what's what's going on here? What's uh, what's the difference, or is there a difference? Well. Um I think the first thing
1: to say is that, yeah, you called it correctly, the, the doxology or the little bit at the end. I've been asked that many times, you know, why do we end the Lord's Prayer with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's not in the Bible. That's exactly true. Uh, that's actually a liturgical verse that's been added to the worship service. Um, that,
0: uh, are do you the, mean to tell me that the Roman Catholics have it right when they end the Lord's Prayer with, deliver us from evil, Amen. Well, that's what Scripture
1: teaches. Okay, so now, that's the
0: Bible prayer.
1: The Roman Catholics introduced the second part here back in the <laughs> ancient church, right? Oh, sure. I mean, Correct. Because let's just be honest, there was the Roman Catholic Church is a, only 500 years old, right? Uh, before that, uh, it was the Christian Church. And the Christian Church uh, introduced this little liturgical response, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And it was then said or chanted by the people in response to the pastor praying the Lord's Prayer. We have freedom in this matter, just like all the others. Um, The pastor can pray the Lord's Prayer on behalf of the people facing the altar, signifying that, uh, or uh, everybody can pray it together. Again, uh, it's not a, a question of... Uh, which way is right or wrong, it's a question of Christian freedom and how is the service going to be done reverently and in the proper awe and thanksgiving to God. And so you have the freedom to do it either way. Uh, if you chant it, it's probably easier just to have the pastor do it because not everybody knows the tune or the, the words or the key. Uh, and so uh, the, the chanting can be done by the pastor with the response by everybody or everybody can pray it together and we have
0: that freedom. I would love it if the whole congregation could sing the Lord's Prayer. And uh, maybe, maybe that's something that uh, we can think about, talk about, or even work toward here in our congregation. I think the people are familiar enough with it. Um, pastor, there are times when, in Divine Service 3, when the pastor chants, The uh, first part, or say, or says, doesn't matter. The first part of the prayer, and then the people come in. That people think maybe the pastor is trying to rob them of the Lord's prayer, or taking the Lord's prayer away from them. How would you respond to that question?
1: Well, um, not to. to undermine what's behind the question, right? What's behind the question is really, I don't understand what's going on. And uh, and so if you have that question, perhaps talk to your pastor about it. You are always... We hope, even as we sing it, uh, that the people in the pew are following along and praying the prayer themselves. And so it's not that you are losing it. You still have that prayer, and hopefully you're in your mind and in your heart you're still praying it. But rather, uh, for the sake of clarity and rather maybe to show the importance of it, the pastor is uh, praying that prayer on behalf of the people. It's not um, hopefully treading on your Christian freedom.
0: And I I think that is a a very, very uh, thorough explanation for that. Uh, The pastor is not trying to steal anything from you, including the Lord's Prayer. But uh, when the pastor is praying or chanting, uh, pray with him. Right. And uh, that is, uh, or you can sing it to yourself too. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at the words, the verba, the words of institution in the Lord's Supper, the most important part. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
1: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Lord, may thy body and thy blood before my soul the highest good. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is episode 29. In the uh, first parts of our uh, episode 29, we looked at the the prayer of thanksgiving in divine service setting one. We talked about the Eucharistic prayer, the history and the baggage that comes with that in uh, segment two. In uh, segment three, we talked about the importance, and the use of the Lord's Prayer in the um, celebration of the Lord's Supper. And now in part four of episode 29, we want to talk about the verba, the words of our Lord, the uh, most important part of the Lord's Supper. Pastor, do you want to read those words for us first uh, before we talk about them so they're fresh in everyone's mind? Sure. Uh- <clears throat> Uh, Pastor Fram, in his uh, Bible study that we referenced many, many times, the divine service, its history and theology, says these words at this point. The words of institution are the foundation of the sacrament of the altar. Without these words, there is no sacrament of the altar. Therefore, they are given due prominence and reverence within the celebration of the divine service. These are words from Jesus to us over the bread and wine To give us the gifts promised in these words. Even when spoken by the mouth of the pastor, we understand that these words are spoken by Jesus. The pastor serves as the spokesman, representative, and ambassador in the stead and by the command of Christ, in the administration of the Holy Supper of Christ's very body and blood. As we are familiar with them, the words of institution are a conflation of Matthew 26:26 to28, Mark 14:22 to 24, Luke 22:19 to 20, and 1 Corinthians 11:23 to 25. A conflation is used to give the fullest scriptural account of what the Lord said in the upper room. Pastor, your comments on uh, Pastor Fram's uh, opening statement there. Yeah, um, these words are really where the whole thing hangs. Uh, is
1: is God really forgiving us? Is God really giving us Christ's body and blood? What are we supposed to do with it? Uh, everything that has to do with the theology and practice of the Lord's Supper comes from these words, which is why, to emphasize what we've been talking about through this entire episode, that's why we want those words to be unobscured and to predominate over the entire service of the sacrament. Um, And when you are sitting in the pew at a church service, uh, this is why these words are so important for you to hear and to believe by the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, because everything hangs from what we're saying here.
0: And as I think Pastor Fromm said it, what Christ is saying here. Yes, and uh, I think... um People need to understand. I think I think Pastor Fromm in a very short and concise way explained how we can take four different sections of Scripture and bring them together and call them the words of our Lord, because they are, and they are brought together in a in a beautiful way. I have I have told confirmation classes for three decades. If you want to know what the Lord's Supper is, memorize the words of institution. Memorize the verba. As long as you have the verba, you have the doctrine, the practice, and the theology of the Lord's Supper right here in those few words.
1: And uh, to help you memorize them, too, this is why pastors oftentimes do chant these words, no matter which divine service setting you're using, because the, the tune, which is actually written by Martin Luther, helps us to understand what's going on and to memorize those words. When words are set to music, uh, they are recorded then in both halves of our brain so that we can easily and more more uh, accessibly uh, bring them forth. And even the way that they're written, the tune emphasizes who's saying what parts. And so we have the narration, which is at a higher uh, note, and then the words of Christ are then slower and more deliberate at a lower note to emphasize this is the actual words that our Lord said. Uh, And then we go back to the narration again, the higher notes, and then again, Christ's words in the lower note again. And so even that helps us to understand. That's why we chant them uh, more often than not is because that emphasizes them, helps kids learn them, uh, it helps uh, the older members learn them, and it helps us
0: understand the different parts of what's happening. Two uh, two little anecdotes uh, along with that. Several times I have had kids, when I'm listening to memory work, and the memory work is the verb of the words of institution, I have had kids say, can I sing them instead of say them, I remember them better when I sing them. And I have had many times when I am visiting shut-ins or people on their deathbed that they specifically request that I sing the words of institution. And uh, for for anybody that uh, is not a big fan of chanting or anything like that, think about uh, the young, think about the old, and how important the music and the words together really is for many, many people, and we would not want to rob them of that joy and that opportunity.
1: Right, and and think about your own, uh, whatever music you listen to, how uh, you can have that uh, earworm song that gets stuck in your head after one listen, and uh, that tune and those words are there, uh, and you've got them all day long, they're going back and forth, and then think about the benefit that when we put God's Word to music that it can do that very same thing with actually meaningful and important words like the words of institution so that, uh, you know, I know Pastor Poppy's a big Lady Gaga fan. He's always <laughs> listening to her in his office. And so Liar. more often than not, he's wandering around the church singing uh, poker face, you know, carry my, carry my, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and so he's he's wandering around doing that. If, if we could actually get important words like our Lord Jesus Christ and the night he was betrayed took bread to float around in his head instead,
0: what a blessing that would be for his faith. You, you would be surprised literally how many times when I'm mowing the lawn in the backyard, when the words of the liturgy are going on in my head, and uh, it's really cool. It's yep. really cool. Pastor, I want to get back to the verba. Is there anything in these words, this conflation from these four places in Scripture, anything in the words of institution that would teach us that the Lord's Supper is is a re-sacrifice of Jesus for our most recent sins, that the Lord's Supper is a representation of Good Friday and the work of Jesus, uh, and that we are somehow participating with Christ in his once and for all sacrifice. Is there anything in these bare words that would give us that kind of a theological understanding of what's going on?
1: Uh no. We're we have to remember that this is entirely God's work, not our work. And when we finally get that understanding then we can see how this is entirely gift and it's not you use the word participation, right? We do participate in it so far as we receive the gift uh, given into our mouths uh, to eat and to drink for forgiveness of our sins, and so we are participating in that way. But we are not participating in the actual action of what's being done to earn our forgiveness. That is entirely God's work, Christ's work uh, on the cross on Good Friday, and the the merits earned therein are being delivered to us in their entirety. Yes, but it's not not our action or our participation.
0: You mentioned earlier that uh, at some times during the church, especially during the uh, Middle Ages, that the words of institution were whispered or spoken almost silently to the bread and the wine, like some some, uh, hocus pocus thing was going on here. And these words are words of proclamation. They are not a prayer, these words of institution. This is God proclaiming the gospel to us and at the same time bringing uh, bread and wine and body and blood to us in a mysterious sacramental way for forgiveness, life, and salvation. I've got a quote here from Luther. says, We must let the Mass be a sacrament and testament. It is not and cannot be a sacrifice any more than the other sacraments are sacrifices. Otherwise, we should lose the gospel, Christ, and all the comfort and every grace of God. Therefore, we must separate the Mass clearly and distinctly from the prayers and ceremonies which have been added to it by the Holy Fathers, We must keep these two as far apart as heaven and earth so that the mass may remain nothing else than the testament and sacrament comprehended in the words of Christ. Your comments on that Luther quote. Well, I mean, it
1: sounds like from that quote, Luther's saying the same thing we've been saying this entire episode, that um, these words of Jesus are very, very, very important. And that's the whole purpose of the service of the sacrament. Everything is built around these words uh, and receiving the gifts that's soon to come in the distribution. And, uh, and so we ought to make sure that those are clear and heard and that they're not hidden away. And even... You think about it, they're recorded for us all these different places in scriptures. Uh, that means the apostles sitting at the table at the first Lord's Supper heard the words, and which tells you Jesus isn't whispering them or anything like that. He's actually proclaiming them. And if we uh, then follow our Lord's example in that regard, we're also proclaiming them for
0: all to hear. I want to make a statement, and I want your reaction. The most important words in the verba are given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Your reaction? Sounds like uh, you've
1: learned your catechism, uh, and whoever has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, has exactly what those words say. And uh, this is Confirmation 101 in regards to the Lord's Supper. And, uh, you know, we probably could spend a whole other episode talking about this whole idea, but that's that's the truth. Um, We can't... We can't uh, negate any of the other words. We have to make sure we take them in their entirety. Uh, When we don't, when we fail to take them in their entirety, there is error that crops up. And we could talk about a whole bunch of those. But uh, yeah, the thing that you need to remember is that when you eat and drink, you are receiving forgiveness for all of your sin. Uh, And uh, that that is given freely by Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, to you in the Lord's Supper in this great uh, sacrament and means of grace.
0: Another statement that I want you to react to: I love to go to the Lord's supper because it makes me feel so good. Well, um,
1: the way that you feel about the Lord's supper is a um, offshoot of what you're receiving, and I by can't byproduct. By I can't uh, take away. Uh, whatever you feel about it, that's, uh, that's outside of my control. But just to remember that you're not actually being saved because of how you feel. And that may seem like a silly thing to wrap your mind around, but I grew up in a church body where lots of times our sermons were talking about the way that we feel. And it's actually terrifying because some days you feel bad. And does that mean that God has abandoned you? Uh, of course not. And uh, that's why we need to make sure we're listening and focusing in on the, the Lord's promises rather than our feelings in this. And if you feel good about it, great. But don't put your faith in how you feel.
0: And uh, you you covered all the bases there. You hit a home run, Pastor. Uh, I would hope that people, after receiving the very body and blood of Jesus, crucified and risen for them, uh, on their lips and in their belly, um, knowing that in this meal Christ has forgiven them their sins. I would hope they would feel something and that they wouldn't be like a dead block of wood. But at the same time, the feeling, the emotion, the sentiment is not the most important thing in the Lord's Supper. The most important thing in the Lord's Supper is the for you gift of the forgiveness of sins that Christ gives. He, he earned at the cross of Calvary, and he distributes at the altar in this very, very special way. Uh, sadly, our time has come to a close. Um, this has been episode 29 of at home in your hymnal we've looked at the things that are leading up to and including the words of institution in the lord's supper we hope our time together has been a blessing we'll continue our look at divine service setting one when we come back next time god's richest blessings in christ